for listening to episode 149 of Shades Midweek. If you're joining us for the first time, this is a podcast where we talk about theology, culture, and all things Shades. My name is Joe Mark DeRoe. I'm the worship pastor here at Shades Valley Community Church where we record this podcast each and every week. And I am joined by my co-host, senior pastor, Jonathan Hafes. It is a beautiful Wednesday. It's actually Ash Wednesday today and the start of Lent. Yes. Yes, it is. What episode number did you say this is? 149. Are we doing something special next time? I don't know. No, I, I, I knew it was coming. I don't I want just, to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Too many special dedicated episodes <laughs> celebrating ourselves. That's, that's right. That's right. Uh, save it for the hunter. We had a big blowout for 100, yeah. and I feel like we're good. We're good now until like 500 maybe. Right. That's from, oh, goodness, I don't even want to think about how old we'll be and those kinds of things. Yeah, man, uh, the start of Lent, uh, I don't know. I love the the Lenten season. I love Ash Wednesday. It's It's the weirdest service that not just we do, but that the church does, I think, sometimes. Of course, when you think right. about it, all of our services are weird. We get together to worship a guy that claimed to be God and say he rose from the dead, and we sing <laughs> to him and eat bread that we say is his body and drink you know, from the fruit of the vine that we say is his blood. We're pretty weird, man. But in this one, we get to rub ashes on our forehead and be like, we're all going to die. Woo! <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's very sobering, and I mean, you know, and I think it's one of the powerful elements of our of our faith. It speaks to the power of the gospel that Christians can do something where we we, we have a service dedicated to staring the fact that we're going to die in the face, and we worship in the face of death. Right, right. You know, and we we laugh at it. You yeah. know that that you have been overcome, and that's what we're really celebrating is the fact that Christ crucified uh, overcomes death we're celebrating the glory of the gospel and so yeah so i just Amen. love ash wednesday i love the season of lent we're ready to get into it but we need to save time on the front end today because we have a we very do. special interview today and uh, not that all of our interviews aren't special they are um <laughs> but uh but we think you'll see what we mean when we get there uh so let's go on and, and do some music jm's album of the My comforter when all seems lost, strength when I am weak. All right, I'm going to feature the second Shade single that we reimagined and released back in January of this year. This one's called You're Here With Me. It's off of the full-length Wanderings. This is a live in the studio, one-take release that we put out. We recorded it live at Communicating Vessels in Woodlawn. And yeah, it's just a drum machine, a little bit of synth, some piano and acoustic guitar and voices. And this is John Ball singing this tune. So yeah, man, it's once again, just like with the uh, In My Wandering uh, reimagining that we released, very similar vibe. If you came to see us open up for Andy Squires here at Shades, this is kind of how we did the set list that night. And uh, yeah, it's just... Here's what I will say, and this, and then I'm sort of teasing something here, but there's going to be uh, some more, some more little reimagined situations oh. coming out soon. Yeah, so I'm very, very excited about that. The, these ones that y'all have released so far, there are videos that accompany these on YouTube, right? There are, yeah. So if you find Shades on YouTube, not Shades Valley Community Church, but Shades Songs. 
you can search for both of these performances, and they are available on YouTube. Black and white, very low budget. We actually filmed it all with iPhones and edited together ourselves, so nothing crazy. We didn't get uh, you know, Martin Scorsese to come in and direct <laughs> the video or anything like that, but we, we did our best with what we uh, had. It was so. just barely outside of the budget. <laughs> Yep, so that's uh, JM's album of the week. This week is the single You're Here With Me live in the studio from Shades. A little shameless plug for my music again. So, yep, that's what's going on. Okay, well, we're going to continue on with our new segment. Right, Jonathan? You got something for today? Let's see what's happening in the ham. Man, it is just a Shades-centric kind of day. So Shades-centric on the music and Shades-centric on what's happening in the ham. So this Saturday, February the 25th, we are going on a tour here in our city, uh, a civil rights tour. So Birmingham, uh, in many ways, was the hub of the civil rights movement. And we are very fortunate that we have uh, a great journalist and historian that lives right here locally, Colin Hansen, who also loves the Lord. And uh, and he does tours uh, where he helps to educate us about the civil rights history, not in, in general of the whole civil rights movement, but specifically the civil rights history to Birmingham, and does a great way of showing the kind of... Uh, uh, trickle-down effects that that had and even shaping the way we experience our city now, even to its layout and its neighborhoods and the way that things are named. Like, he, he does a really great job of helping us see the history that is still just right under the surface and helps to form and shape even our, our, our present. Yep. So we've got a great group signed up. Uh, to come this weekend. If you didn't get to sign up, we are kind of at max capacity. Though if you just showed up, we probably wouldn't send you away. Right. right. Um, but so we're going to meet at 9 a.m. Do you remember the first location? I don't off the top of my head, but we will bring it up here in just a second. Anyway, so yeah, we're going to meet uh, at Kelly Ingram Park. There it is. Uh, across from the church that's right there. Uh, is that 16th Street right there? Or is it the or is it the other Baptist church? Man, that's my geography down there? is so terrible, even when it, especially when it comes to downtown. There, there's a church near Kelly Ingram Park, and for the life of me, I can't remember if it's the 16th Street Baptist Church or if it's there, there's another one that's like 23rd right, Street, right, right. I, I think. But, but come down 9 a.m. Yes, 9 a.m. Kelly Ingram Park. You won't be able to miss us. It's going to be a large group of shades people. Um, so. You'll find us, and we will go to three locations total. So we'll spend some time at Kelly Ingram, and then we'll all hop in our cars, drive to the next location, so forth yep. and so on. Yep. Uh, the tour, depending upon you know how much we ask questions and all that, will probably last about two and a half to three hours. So we'll finish up somewhere right around lunchtime. And for those who want to stay and hang out, we're going to pick a lunch location and go eat together so we can kind of talk and, and uh, think through everything that we've just heard. But, man, I'm just really excited and, um, and hopeful that we may even do something again like this in, in the future. So very excited. So, yep, so that is what's happening in the ham this week. All right. Well, now that we know what's happening in the ham, let's see what's happening in the email corridor. Yeah, we're doing all the segments today. We're doing everything. <laughs> all right. We got an email from a longtime listener and 
resident of the email corridor, Dale Anton. Man, Shout out to Dale, I, faithful I, listener. I'll be honest, Dale. Dale, I was starting to doubt you. I was starting to go, we haven't heard from Dale in so long. Is he even listening anymore? But but here he is. Subject line greetings. And we heard from him. He said, praise God. Just a short note to remind you that I'm listening. I think that was for me personally. <laughs> I feel like he has some line to the Holy Spirit. He knew I was doubting him. But more importantly, to tell you that I'm praying for you in God's church at Shades, I'm hopeful that Brad is resting well. Dale Anton. Man, what an, what an awesome email. Just a quick little, yeah. just two or three sentences. Hey, just wanted to know I'm thinking about you. I'm praying about you. I'm thinking about Shades. Love what you guys are doing. I mean, just, just great. I tell you what. Dale's thinking about shades more than Brad is right now. I'll tell you that. Brad is resting well, and he's not listening to the show like you are, Dale. Well, I'm going to call out Brad right now because I texted him two days ago a question that had nothing to do with shades, just asking him about something. Never haven't heard back from him. Oh, my word. So I'm calling him out right now. He's the worst. Maybe he's taking a break from his phone for Lent or something. Whatever. Yeah, what happened? I don't know. Anyway, I'll give one little Brad story before we move okay. on. And he did reply to this, but all three of us were in this text message. Uh, and it was kind of, and just so everybody knows, we're not texting Brad all the time. We actually are, are avoiding communicating with him as much as possible um, so he can rest. But this was too good not to share. It was for encouragement. It was for encouragement. So John Mark sent uh, a tweet thread to, to me the other day via text message. It was like, hey, this is cool. Read this. I was on my laptop, I clicked on it, and I don't have a personal Twitter account, but Shades has a Twitter account that all of us forget even exists because we never post to it other than like when, when we post to Instagram, it automatically posts yep. um, there. So so I click on on this thing, and it opens up Twitter on, in my browser, and it opens up with the Shades Valley account logged in. So I read it, it's cool and all of that, but then I notice there are some notifications, like people have liked some stuff that Shades has posted or whatever. So I'm like, I wonder what's there. So I click on it. Well, back in December, Brad, on some segment that we long ago killed, I don't even remember the name of it anymore, something about books. I forgot. Um, Yeah, yeah. So Brad, on that segment, featured uh, Christopher Watkins' Biblical Critical Theory, which is a massive, uh, a work that's getting just a ton of traction right now, a lot of attention being hailed as a really massive and important work. Timothy Keller wrote the foreword. Colin Hansen has hailed it as a great work. Anyway, we're reading through it. We're enjoying it. Um, but Brad featured that on the book club. Well, none other than Christopher Watkin himself, wow. the author, liked the tweet that wow. was about the fact that, that, that like this this episode of Shades Midweek had been posted, and he replied, replied to the tweet, and let me, I have it. Let me read you what he said, because this is what really blew my mind. Christopher Watkins' 15 minutes of fame is also our 15 minutes of fame. Uh, apparently. Right? Right? Apparently. Um, which, uh, <laughs> yeah. So he said, thanks for your review of Biblical Critical Theory. I see you got the secret deluxe edition with the <laughs> bonus chapter on tacos. We had, uh, we had, you know, <laughs> done some taco tour stuff that, so what blew my mind was he didn't just he, like have a Google alert that let him know this local podcast had said something about his book. He, he listened. 
He listened at least to the first 15 to 20 minutes. Lord bless him. Oh, my bless word. Bless his ears for having to Very, put up with yeah, that. I know, right? Very serious call. Anyway, so I, I texted screenshots of that to Brad, figured he would feel very affirmed and encouraged, which I think he did. But you know what, JM? What's that? Let's move on from talking about Brad to someone else we've mentioned already twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, we talked about the fact that Colin Hansen is going to be taking us on a civil rights tour. I just talked about the fact that he is a big fan of Christopher Watkins' work, Biblical Critical Theory. You know, Colin has a work of his own that's recently come out, mm-hmm. a new little book. What if we were able to bring the Colin Hansen into the studio to talk about his latest book? I thought you were going to say we were going to bring in Tim Keller. Well, it's the next best thing. Okay, that's it's the that's next true. best thing. So Well, that would be awesome, and I can tell you right now, Jonathan, uh, we have been texting with Colin, and he is coming to the studio today. Ladies and gentlemen. In just a few minutes. Yeah, he's going to be here. So without any further ado, here comes the interview that we actually haven't recorded yet, but will in just a minute. Here comes our interview with Colin Hanson. This week on Shades Midweek, we are really excited to bring you a very special interview with second-time guest, long friend, long-time friend of the show, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Colin Hanson. Hey, hey everyone. Well, Colin, for those who don't know who you are, allow me to do the, uh, okay. the regular spiel. Okay. So Colin Hansen serves as the Vice President for Content and Editor-in-Chief of the Gospel Coalition, a little website most of you probably have never heard of. Uh, <laughs> he is also the Executive Director of the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics. He hosts the Gospel Bound podcast, which wishes it could post <laughs> midweek numbers. Um, he hosts the Gospel Bound podcast and has written and contributed to, uh, contributed to many books, most recently, Timothy Keller his spiritual and intellectual formation. He's published with the New York Times. I don't know if anyone's heard of that. Uh, And the Washington Post offered commentary for CNN, Fox News, NPR, BBC, ABC News, and PBS NewsHour. And Shades Midweek. (laughs) And Shades Midweek. Naturally. That's the only one anyone in our audience would recognize. I think somebody cut it from the bio. Did they? (laughs) Did they? Maybe it was that vice president for content and editor. I blame him. Oh, man. He's also a member of Iron City Church right here in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm actually meeting with your pastor at 3 p.m. Oh, great. So right after this. Say hey. Yeah, yeah. So you better do well here. I'm going to have some things to say. Oh, but uh, and he uh, he is an adjunct professor at my alma mater, uh, yes. Beeson Divinity School, where he also co-chairs the advisory board. So a very short list of accolades and accomplishments with a bunch of small time things nobody's ever heard that, of. That sounds that sounds sounds busy. It does. <laughs> it does. That sounds busy. How are you here? Why are you here? Why do you have time for us? That's what I wondered when I pulled up. Oh my word. <laughs> No, no, Colin, we do thank you so much for your time um, and just your friendship yeah, uh, over the years. It's really been, it's, it is a blessing to us uh, that the Lord chose to drop you in Birmingham, Alabama. Amen. And I am, uh, I'm just excited for the, the, yeah, just the blessing you've been in our life over the years personally. And thank you for coming on Shades Midweek 
again. <laughs> uh, we've brought you here for a very specific reason this time, and I mentioned it. Uh, you just had a new book come out. As a matter of fact, I received my copy maybe 10 days ago nice, or something like that. Um, but yes, it is entitled Timothy Keller and the subtitle, His Spiritual and Intellectual Formation. And so we've brought you here. As you're in the midst of this gigantic book tour, you know, we wanted to make sure. My West Home would stop. Yeah, we wanted to make sure you, <laughs> that we would tour. be your largest stop. Um, you're going to have so many sales as a result of this interview alone. Dozens of us. Yes, <laughs> yes. Which is why which is why we're proud to tell our listeners, Colin has agreed to give away free, like 10 free copies. Right. Signed. Signed. To I'll deliver them to your house. Hand, hand delivered. <laughs> No, but I'm, <laughs> I'm that desperate for the sales. <laughs> well, if you just write about subject matter that people had heard yeah, of, that would help. No one's ever heard of this Tim Keller guy. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, hopefully after this interview, yeah. um, our, our listeners will be intrigued and want to purchase the book and tell their friends about it and such. But yeah, we wanted to to talk about this book Let's with you. It. I've been looking forward to it being published for a long time. I've had it on pre-order um, from another unknown company out there called Amazon. Um, but yeah, so we just want to dive in and talk Let's about the book. Let's so uh, this book is obviously, it's not a completely objective project for you. Mm -hmm. uh, you've been influenced by Tim Keller yourself. You know Tim. So really, we just wanted to invite you here to say for the rest of the interview, can you call Tim right now <laughs> and just get him on the phone so we can talk to him? <laughs> that would be the actually we'd, interesting. We'd like to get his interview. opinion about the book. <laughs> no, no, but uh, tell us a little bit about yeah. Keller's influence on you both before and after you met him. Yeah, so my seminary years were 2007 to 2010. My undergraduate years ended in 2003. I was the news editor in between of of Christianity Today magazine. So I got to know Tim in that period that, ah, I mean, hopefully some people can relate to it. I mean, I'm a, I'm a child of the 90s, so I'm I'm watching Word. Seinfeld, I'm watching Friends, I mean, all that sort of stuff, that New York letterman um, in New York. And then I'm working at Christianity Today, and this pastor who especially became better known because of 9-11 and being the pastor of one of the largest churches in Manhattan at the time, Tim Keller. And then there was so much focus on New York and global cities. I know that Christian Today started to cover Tim. And then I had this kind of, I don't know how to describe, irresistible urge. It was just all in the air at the time. Uh, you, of course, remember Mark Driscoll out in Seattle and just a lot of focus on urban church planting. And, yep. and uh, Tim and Mark are basically like the opposite personalities in every way. But um, but there was just that big movement at the time. I just remember thinking, I don't know what the Lord has for me in ministry, but, I mean, gosh, it seems like the thing to do is to is to plant a church in an urban area. And even when we would, my wife and I would visit Birmingham before we lived here, we we spent a lot of time checking out different uh, churches that were starting in, in Birmingham. And so, um, yeah, that's just part of that influence that I, that way ways Tim influenced me before I ever knew him personally. I got to know him at the First Gospel Coalition National Conference 2007 at Trinity in Chicago, where I was about to start. And then he and I started editing books together. And then I started as the editorial director of this ministry that he co-founded. So um, then the influence from that stage became more personal. But 
in many ways, I'm in the same boat as everybody else. It's pretty amazing to think that he started publishing in earnest in 2008. And, man, I, I would put those 15 years of publishing against anybody's. Right. Um, of just all the books that have been so instrumental for me and for millions of others, starting from Reason for God and The Prodigal God in 2008, his first two major best-selling books, but then, goodness, I mean, I, his work on marriage, on suffering, on prayer, on apologetics, on, gee, we could just keep going forever there, seemingly, and it's just amazing that he did all that in 15 years. Yeah, he was the Beatles of Christian publishing. <laughs> so yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> we haven't seen a run call. like that ever before. You know, it was just a hit after a hit. <laughs> yeah, and, and clearly it happened because he, he didn't start this until he was 50, almost 58. So that uh, he clearly been working up toward this and was extremely busy in New York with the church planting and then developing what became the City to City um, Church Planting Network, which is hugely influential not only in New York, but now in virtually every global city. So, um, and then, yeah, then also starting the Gospel Coalition. So he did all that before he was publishing. In fact, at the first Gospel Coalition meeting in 2005, the reference to him is, it's a guy who should be more better, you know, should be more well-known than he is. Like, <laughs> just weird to look back on it in retrospect. Mm. But even then, most of these Reformed pastors really had not heard of Tim before. You really right. had to be in the PCA uh, for the most part to have heard of him. But, yeah, the book publishing changed everything. Then, I mean, you toss sermon podcasting in there, and he's been one of the top few most podcasted preachers in the last mm. decade. Wow. Well, well you know, even even as I just listened to you, uh, describing Tim's influence on you and just kind of how his influence grew in general. You know, one of the things that's interesting talking about him not being as well known as yeah. maybe he should have been is I still think like even now there are a ton of other names that I could mention to your average churchgoer that they would recognize, but they might not recognize Tim Keller. Sure, yeah. You yeah. know, and and so one of the things that it's interesting. Uh, that I wanted to ask you about is let's say somebody's listening right now who hasn't ever heard. This is their first time yeah, right. hearing about Tim Keller because of his influence on evangelicalism as a whole. Like there are ways that they have probably experienced his influence, it's true. not even knowing who he is. Could you describe that? Like yeah. how would you tell this person who's never heard of Tim? You know, you hadn't heard of him, but some of what you've experienced in evangelicalism, has come about because of his influence. Yeah, I think we could say a lot of different things, but one of them off the top of my head would be Christ-centered preaching from the Old Testament. Mm. If you've heard an Old Testament narrative story that doesn't end with, now do the same things this hero did, but instead shows how that hero points to a greater hero, of mm. Christ, Tim did not invent any of that, but he popularized it. So we're, we're going through Judges right now. The classic example. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, a generation or two ago, it would have been rare would have been the church that would do a judge's sermon series. But Tim has brought new levels of exposure to preaching Old Testament narratives. Hmm. It's actually one of the things that I emulate most from him. I just, yeah, give me an Old Testament narrative and I'll run with it. I'm preaching upcoming at a local church and, you know, Daniel, Daniel 1 yeah. <laughs> is going to be my passage in there. I'm a little different in some prophetic literature in there, but just give me an Old Testament narrative. That's a, a big part of that for him. 
Uh, if you think it's totally normal that you could go to any city and find a church that you would love, uh, that's probably more Tim Keller than anybody mm-hmm. else is responsible for that. In fact, sometimes I think I could go to a rural town in Alabama but maybe have a hard time, but I could go to Berkeley, California and find a church that boldly preaches the gospel and compassionately loves their neighbors. That would be a lot through Tim's influence. Not mm-hmm. not exclusively so. He's not like he's the only sure, person sure. saying this, but that's definitely, definitely him. If you've ever heard somebody... <clears throat> This is such a good question, by the way. If you ever heard somebody say that the way to understand sin is through idolatry, about how we turn good things into mm-hmm. ultimate things and therefore distort them and fail to worship God. Yeah, Tim Keller did not invent that. That's biblical. That's Augustine. That's Luther. But in our day, definitely Tim is the one who's popularized that understanding. Just look at his book, Counterfeit Gods. Right. If you've if you've thought, oh, there's a biblical perspective on justice that allows us to maintain our focus on evangelism, but also helps us to apply the gospel to all of life. Mm. That's Tim Keller. Uh, again, not only him, but that's probably the best example of that. And if and if you've had somebody say, I can't stand all these pastors who are now so woke because they preach about justice. Well, yeah, that's also what they say about Tim Keller. <laughs> 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 there too. So he takes a lot of the heat for being one of the most prominent nonpartisan pastors. Um, there are a lot of pastors out there who are prominent precisely because they are very politically engaged. Um, that just has not been his lane, and as a result, he takes quite a bit of criticism from from the right for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. It, all of those, I think, are fantastic examples, and it's funny, like, even as you go through them, there are some that... I immediately was like, yeah, that was kind of in the back of my mind when I asked that question. I immediately recognized Tim's hand in being a part of that uh, influence. But then there were other things that you pointed to that I hadn't been thinking about at all. But as soon as you did, I was like, oh, yeah. oh, yeah, of course. And even that first one that you mentioned, um, the Christ-centered preaching from the Old Testament uh, so I, I told you we're preaching through Judges right, right now, and one of the things I have said as we've been going through this series is I've said, um, you know, if you'd asked me even just a couple of years ago, Jonathan, what's your favorite thing to preach? Uh, I would have had a very standard uh, Protestant answer and said Paul's epistles or and something Galatians. like that. Not yeah. that, not that I love Paul's <laughs> epistles, right. um, but honestly, over the years, what I've come to realize is for me, it's Old Testament narrative. Yeah. And... You know, Tim's role and influence in that is something I think that I have not recognized uh, as much as I probably should have. It's why I highlighted in the book, I mean, I could have chosen a number of sermons, but the reason I chose to highlight in the book what I think is maybe his best sermon, which is The Girl Nobody Wanted about about Leah um, Mm -hmm. and uh, Rachel and Jacob. And uh, yeah, so it's Genesis narrative in there. Yeah. So... Mm-hmm. Well, and something you said repeatedly uh, as you were answering that question is uh, Tim didn't invent this, or this isn't original with Tim. And this yeah. is kind of part of the point yeah. of your book. So even that Old Testament Christ-centered preaching, that's the influence of, was that Clowney or Gerdanus that influenced uh, him there? Uh, Clowney, and then before that, Gerhardus Voss okay. from Princeton. Yeah. That's where it came from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that's interesting to me about your book is it's not your your typical biography. Right. You know, And the subtitle 
tips that off. The subtitle is, you know, his spiritual and intellectual formation. Uh, I'm curious, why tackle uh, biography, or specifically Tim, you know, from that particular angle? Well, um, he's not dead. (laughs) That's one thing, so uh, we don't know the end of the story. Um, uh, Second thing is that we don't have enough distance to be able to assess his influence that a biography normally would. Right. Uh, third, I'm too close to him personally and professionally to have written that myself. Uh, fourth, because this was something that Tim collaborated on. Mm. And so we, we wanted to establish a record of this is what he was thinking. This is what he had in mind. This is where he was coming from. This is kind of the authoritative record that anybody can use in the future. And it just felt like getting that out there while he was still around to be able to speak for himself was an important contribution. Also, Tim really is uncomfortable talking about himself. So even in the process of writing this book, I I could look at his sermons, I could look at his books, I could talk to all of his friends, um, uh, old and new. Uh, but he was not the best source uh, for himself, usually. He just doesn't like to talk about himself. He likes to talk about other people and what he's learning from them. So this approach uniquely seems to work for Tim. Plus, I don't know, the rest of us were kind of sort of like, I don't know, I guess if you think about it, I really was influenced by this book I read about this theologian and this pastor I knew. Well, it's going to be kind of a short book. <laughs> <laughs> but but Tim just has dozens, literally dozens. So, and he personally interacted with a lot of them, or had a personal connection to them, like uh, his wife Kathy's relationship with as pen pal as a preteen with C.S. Lewis, or with them studying together with Elizabeth Elliot in seminary. So, it just from a, a literary pers- and historical perspective. You could do this with Tim. That I'm just, I'm not sure how many other figures you could do it with. Yeah. At, as I read portions of, of the book, you just mentioned very briefly right there, Kathy, his yeah. wife, being like a pen pal of C.S. Lewis, <laughs> as if that's a throwaway comment. <laughs> um, there were there were moments where I was like, we could do a podcast episode about Kathy. Oh, I'm yeah, very curious sure. here. <laughs> like, like every, every time you would talk about her, I'm like, I quit talking about Tim. I want to know more about Kathy. <laughs> Her story's interesting. Yeah, she's a she's a character. Yeah, I mean, I think there may be some things that people know about Tim going into this book, but I can't imagine too many people know about Kathy. Mm. And so she probably will, in a lot of people's reading of the book, be sort of the, the, the standout, if only because they don't know much about her. And sure. because of that, that um, amazing just little anecdote of, yeah, what were you doing at age... 13 were you one of the last people c.s lewis corresponded with before he <laughs> before he died and then and you thought it was a natural thing to travel as a teenager to england to meet with his brother <laughs> and to hang out in their house <laughs> it's just not a not a typical person right there. right it's just it's just wild yep. but you talk about how uh you know tim has dozens and dozens of yeah. influences mm-hmm. that have poured into him so i want to give you a little bit of a uh, or at least I think it's a yeah. challenging question. Okay, you've, you know, you've been on your book tour here, so you may have ready-made answers for all of these things. We'll see. Um, but so in covering all of these dozens, dozens of people who've impacted yeah. Tim spiritually and intellectually, if you had to pick one person 
okay. for the largest spiritual influence and one person for the largest intellectual influence. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. Well, yeah. I think I think it's got to be. Um, no, nobody's asked me that question before, but I think it's got to be pretty clearly. It's our um, specialty here yeah, at Shades like Midweek. It. I like it. Um, Hard hitting journalism. <laughs> the uh, it is Lewis on the intellectual and Edwards on the spiritual. So. Intellectually, it's Lewis because he learns the most in terms of his apologetic method, his his way of rationally thinking through the Christian faith and presenting it. Uh, and then it's Edwards on the spiritual side because Edwards is the conduit for Tim's overarching framework of revival. Mm. Um, and Tim coined the phrase ecclesial revivalist, church revivalist, uh, to describe Edwards and or perhaps it was to describe himself. I can't recall off the top of my head. But anyway, I, I use that. That's probably the best way to describe Tim. He's a pastor. He's ecclesial. He's in a church. But his real bent is toward fostering personal and collective revival. It's a big part of his whole story in there. So I would def- And he gets that through his professor, Richard Loveless, who was in part an expert um, in, in Edwards. So that um, I think that's how I would bifurcate them i think that it kind of works pretty neatly and then if you said overarching or personal then that's definitely kathy yeah yeah oh for sure what uh what was the most surprising thing like as you were researching and in the whole book learn yeah what, what was the most surprising part of like kind of writing about yeah i think Tim in this the process? i had an inkling about the story with his brother i won't give away all of it in there but but his brother died of aids he was gay um, 1998 is when he died. Only brother. Mm. And um, interesting backstory there. Um, I was researching this part about his brother at the same time that my wife and I were preparing to have our, our third child. And we'd already decided to name my child, uh, name our child William Christopher. William was my grandfather's name, who was really my role model. And then Christopher is my middle name after two of my great-grandfathers. As we named him that, and then shortly thereafter found out that that was Tim's brother's name, Mm. William Christopher, went by Billy Mm. in there. Just an interesting (coughs) coincidence or providence in there. But I would say the dots started to connect for me when I thought, well, if you lose your only brother to AIDS in the 1990s, that's got to be a big deal in your life. And talk about it very much, and I thought, wait a minute. He must have preached the funeral, mm-hmm. naturally. So that was what I asked. And then I thought, oh, man, i got to know what he said. Yeah. And so I'll leave it to the listeners to guess what they think he preached at the funeral, what message he gave. But I think when they see that, they'll be surprised in some sense like I was, but also just confirmed of, of course, that's what he preached Mm -hmm. of course he would preach more or less a version of what would become a decade later his most famous overall message so that was probably most surprising though i will toss in there i don't think i knew anything about the elizabeth elliott connection don't think i knew that i I didn't yeah i don't don't think i knew about that going into it and then um i definitely i'm not sure anyone knew the table talk connection um i'm not sure anybody that that might have been a genuine historical find in the book (laughs) um of this long forgotten student newspaper 
from Gordon Conwell Day, Seminary Days, that their best friend, Louise Midwood, just happened to send me this big packet of stuff from those days. Wow. And I just happened to have been reading Stephen Nichols' biography of R.C. Sproul and saw the first issue of Table Talk and thought, wait a minute. <laughs> this is identical to the student newspaper. Right, right, that right. came out. And I'm just following up saying, is this a coincidence? Oh, no, one of our friends who was working on the newspaper in, in seminary went on to be the assistant to R.C. Sproul, and then, like, oh. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm not sure the Table Talk people <laughs> knew knew that part. So that was a pretty big surprise. So, so, so Tim basically had a hand in the beginning of Table Talk. Well, yeah, apparently, huh. he, apparently he was one of the editors, first editors, who founded Table Talk as a student protest against the heresy of their New Testament professors at Gordon-Conwell. Yeah, I, I, wow. I, don't, I don't think a lot of people saw that one, <laughs> saw that one coming. <laughs> but I've got it. I've literally got it in my office here at Beeson. I've got, I've got the actual copy, maybe the only extant copy. And anyway, I put it in the book as well. Got the image in there, too. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah. All right, so opposite end of the spectrum. Okay, go for it. What was the least surprising thing to you as you worked on this project? Like like the thing uh, that you would just hear again and again about Tim and oh, just think like, ah, oh, of course, of course this is true. Of that, course this is everywhere. That you would have recognized Tim as the same person at every single stop. <laughs> so what I love, again, wow. this is another comment from Louise Midwood. It was so perfect. She said... After class in seminary, we'd go back to Tim's dorm room, and he would redo the lecture in a way that was <laughs> clearer. <laughs> oh, wow. And always had this sort of special spin on it. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think if, if you go back to, to college, you'd say, oh, what's Tim Keller doing? He's sitting out in front of a sign about how the cross is existentially satisfying <laughs> talking to people about Jesus and recommending books for them to read. <laughs> oh, my word. Like, ah, it's just pretty much the same guy. Oh. Um, he just, he loves to read. He loves talking about Jesus. He loves to talk about what he's reading about Jesus. <laughs> um, that's pretty much, I think that's the least surprising thing. It's just always been that way. That's... That's awesome. I, I find myself wondering, of course, I wonder this about you too, Colin, because last time you were here, we uh, we asked you how many books you read a year, and I, I won't tell anyone how many days I spent depressed after you had shared that. <laughs> it's not a competition, <laughs> Colin, everything's no, a competition. There's no award. <laughs> everything's a That's not true. Would you like me to read your bio again? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, no, I'm jealous. I'm jealous, Colin. Like and when I think about when I think about Tim and I think about everything that he's done, everything he's been involved in, from the Gospel Coalition to leading yeah. uh, the largest evangelical yeah. church in Manhattan, and yeah. like, when did he find time to read? Yeah, that is a good question. Well, as far as I can tell, he doesn't have any hobbies. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, other other than travel to England and South Carolina and researching all of the local history about those places and leading tours for his friend and family. No, wait, 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 wait. You said England and... And South Carolina. 
Those are like a t- two vacation places. I was the like, beach. Why South Carolina? That was the beach, man. <laughs> it's a great place to go, especially if you're in New York. It's pretty close. Oh. Um, I, mean, I mean, we'll say in the 1990s, there developed this whole people in New York would go down to Georgia and South Carolina. You know, there those, you go. those old cities down there. It's just their short, direct flights from, from New York. So, um, yeah, so they would, I mean, I remember <laughs> one of their friends <laughs> would say, um, well, <laughs> this is not in the book. And I really wish that their friend had told me this. It said, we'd go on vacation with Tim and Kathy, and he would pack suitcases of books. It's <laughs> like, why didn't you tell me this when I was researching the book? <laughs> Next edition. So, yeah, we're going to the beach. And then, and then the comment I, that I did have in the book was, Tim would just sit there on the beach and just tell everybody all about what he was reading. And they're like, well... It was a little weird to be at the beach, have Tim Keller lecturing you about all this sort of stuff. But it was really good. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was really interesting. <laughs> so the other comments I got were, um, we'd be together in England, and we'd be looking out over this vista, this this landscape, and Tim would launch into a lecture on the historical development of this landscape. <laughs> be like, where did you learn this? I stayed up last night reading a bunch of books about it. My word. Okay. <laughs> so, so he does have hobbies in the sense of he likes to travel and sit at the beach, but it seems that what he likes to do when he travels and sits at the beach is read books. Read. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. I never got any sense. He's not into sports. Uh, I mean, he's not into, like, stamp collecting or something like that. I didn't get the sense. He doesn't refer a lot to TV or movies. Either. Sure. I don't think he's probably mm. watching a lot of that. Right. Right. Um, so it's amazing how much time. <laughs> you right. Have there. Right. No, for sure. Yeah. Well, I have a general question. Okay. Uh, about biography in general, but it's a, it's attached to, to this book specifically. Mm-hmm. The the general question about biography is like, w- why do you think we like reading biography, or or what's or maybe someone who's skeptical, what's the point yeah. of reading biography? And and attached to this book specifically, like what do you hope as the author? Yeah. What are you hoping people will gain from reading this? That's well, a good question, Jonathan. I think most people don't realize, if they're not authors, that the hardest aspect of writing is organization. Right. Okay, you've got a topic, but I mean, how do you how do you even tackle it? What's the how do you divide it? What's the angle that you take on it? Biographies are pretty clear. <laughs> You're born, yeah. you live, you die. <laughs> timeline. Yeah. Uh, you got a timeline there. Now, my approach was a little bit frustrated in that regard. Now, Tim does have basic timelines in terms of how he develops, like, as I say in the book, rings on a tree. But there were some difficulties for me with people like Ed Clowney because there he is in college. There he is in New York City. They're teaching together at the Reformed Theological Seminary. I had a hard time knowing where to put him. Right. But I think that's generally why people like biographies, because there's a really clear organization. Mm-hmm. You know where it's going. There's a narrative flow to it. And you can just map your own story onto it. Um, if if you're not, if it's an interesting story. If you haven't lived through that period, it's an even more interesting story when you think, oh, yeah, I was there around for the Jesus movement. I remember what that was like. So I think they're just fun to compare ourselves to and be able to figure out how we might even tell our own story mm, yeah. in some ways and, and see what sort of story the Lord is writing. So I do think that's one of my major hopes. 
I think um, this just occurred to me, Jonathan, the other day. I thought, I'm not sure. It's not normally a good thing for an author. <laughs> but I'm not sure there's another book like this. It's almost like you put a pastor on a table and you've dissected him. Mm. And you're just sort of piecing through the parts. And I'm just not sure there's a parallel. So I thought, this might actually really work in a pastoral practices spirituality type course um, or just for a group of pastors or other church leaders to think through because especially in an internet age we all are kind of eclectic it's one thing if you're born and live and die in a in the same kind of confessional community but all of us now are piecing together this we learned over here and this we learned over here and this we learned over here and tim gives a model of somebody who did that on in many ways, an unattainable scale, but still gives us a model of how you can be indebted to the past without getting stuck in the past. Mm-hmm. He didn't, I mean, he, like, it's the way he talks about the Puritans. He says, dive deeply into the Puritans, but don't get stuck there. <laughs> and the comment that he makes in there is that some people get lost in the Puritan forest and they start talking about methinks and, you know, they start <laughs> using Puritan language you know ancient uh, or, or older older english language in there and it's like that's the way he approaches everything i mean other than lewis i think lewis is probably the only figure that he just completely dived into that's on his brain constantly um other than the scriptures um but everyone else he's just sort of grabbing the best that he can from everybody and that's a it can be a dangerous model in some ways but i think it's a it's a model of how you can do that and synthesize them as one person, and, and this is why I, the way I've come to describe this as the difference between rings on a tree growing as a steady oak, the difference between that and lily pad theology, which is I jump from this fad to this fad to this fad to this fad to this fad without any coherence. Like, how can you continue to grow and develop for an entire lifetime, but still be the same recognizable figure with a passion for Christ and his gospel at your core? I don't think that's just church leaders or pastors who can learn from that, but um, but especially for them, I hope this will be a helpful read. Yeah, yeah. Well, I man, Colin, thank you for all of your work uh, that you've put into the book. Um, I know that we have been benefiting from it, and I know that any of our listeners that hopefully will buy <laughs> dozens, of dozens, dozens, dozens of us <laughs> will will benefit as well. I have. Two other things yep. I want to talk Let's to you about, but before I do, is there anything else that you wanted to share about <laughs> the book or anything I didn't ask about? The only thing I'll say is is if you're if you're not somebody in vocational ministry and you're a little bit uh, turned off by this, I'd say that, you know, maybe it's not the book for you, but it's not like a novel. It's not like I've embedded some sort of secret message on page 8 that you'll need when you get to page 300. If you read through it, just if it's a section you're not interested in, just skip it. <laughs> just keep going <laughs> right, right, right. until you find something else that's interesting to you. Just uh, find all the parts about Kathy. Yeah, that's right. Just <laughs> the narrative. Some parts of the book lend themselves as a writer better to narrative yeah. than to others. And I tried to find those parts. And so if you're interested in certain aspects of French existentialist philosophy that was taught <laughs> in the 1960s and 70s on American liberal arts campuses, Hey, I've got a couple paragraphs in there for you. I remember because when I read the audio book, I said, hey, what idiot wrote these? With all these <laughs> names that I can't pronounce. 
my South Dakota rural school didn't have <laughs> French classes. <laughs> so I'm speaking it with a Spanish accent on them. Um, yeah, but just just sort of like, skip that section. And they just go to the next part about whatever narrative that's interesting about moving to New York. How'd they choose to move there? How did Kathy feel about that? Right. What was it like on September 11th? What was it like becoming famous? Uh, mm. You know, those kinds of things. Just yeah. skip to those parts. Yeah. So you read the audiobook? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like to fall asleep listening <laughs> to the right. sultry sounds of Colin Hansen. <laughs> I tell you, there were that was an interesting experience. Yeah, they sent an engineer down here to to Birmingham, so recorded it right there on 280, and uh, and I had to stop every time a big truck was struggling to get up Red Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, I'm glad I I'm glad I got to do it. Um, That's awesome. It's uh, I mean I'm a, I'm a big audiobook fan myself, so sure. it was a fun experience. Awesome. Well. The, the next thing I want to ask you about is, I mean, it's not unrelated. Um, in the wake of the book, uh, TGC, Gospel Coalition, uh, has started the, the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics. Mm-hmm. And you're the executive director. So very quickly, yeah. uh, why don't we start by you explaining to our listeners what cultural apologetics <laughs> is? Quickly, so apologetics is Apologetics <laughs> is plainly defending the faith, right. articulating the faith. Cultural means that we are doing so in such a way that especially speaks to this age in a multidimensional fashion. So it's not necessarily just an argument. It could be the moral witness of the church. It could be an appeal to pop culture. It could be a deep exploration of social criticism and the structures of society. So it can be multifaceted. It's not just the ontological argument for God or evidences of the resurrection. Nothing wrong with either of those, but cultural apologetics implies a more multidimensional approach. And it's another way of saying what Tim Keller has been doing for his career. Mm. Right, right. So tell us a little bit about the Keller Center for Cultural Apologetics. Yeah, well, at some level, you got to start with a problem. The basic problem is twofold. Number one, we've got a big, wide-open back door in the church. Forty million Americans have left the church in the last 25 years. That is the largest and mo- and fastest religious transformation in American history. That's a problem. Second problem, we've got this proverbial closed front door in the church. Never before in church history, in human history, have we ever had a situation where our society is post-Christian. Mm-hmm. Right. You've got a pre-Christian world that the Bible is written to. You've got a Christendom, sort of like Christian-dominated society in much of the West for you know a good thousand years, 1,500 years. Um, we've never been on the other side of that. And so when you're going through seminary, when other people are studying to be pastors or just— I mean, I, th- I kind of break it down into pastors, professors, and parents. Pastors— you're, you've got, you need continuing education about the different issues that arise. Professors need continuing education on how to guide and train others in their writing, in their teaching, on a, just a rapidly changing environment. And then parents need actual tools to mm. disciple their own children, ranging from catechesis to, to books to qu- answers to questions about sexuality to... Um, just to even TikTok videos that they, you know, that their kids will be able to watch. Uh, there just needs to be a really concerted effort across the church, inside and outside the church walls, to say, this is our situation. Post-Christian dynamic, first time we've ever had that. Rapid de-churching, 
everywhere, a little less so in Birmingham, but everywhere that is the fundamental reason for all of the societal changes that you see. Um, so we're trying to galvanize pastors, professors, and parents together, uh, working on that problem and coming up with some some solutions in a collaborative environment. So, so how can people listening mm-hmm. to this connect with uh, the Keller Center? How can they benefit from? Yeah, it? well, the KellerCenter.org is is where you can find us, and you'll see a range of activities. Um, we do online learning cohorts now. Most people will not necessarily want to be in the one with Christopher Watkin talking about his 700-page book, Biblical (laughs) Critical Theory. However, it's been enormously popular because our waiting list is 500 for 25 slots in there. Okay, And we just opened up a whole new, just today, breaking news, we we opened up a massive new fall cohort working with him through that book. Well, we really thank you for, you know, saving spots for (laughs) me and jump Jump on on in. (laughs) Jump on in for the low, low price. Uh, So, I mean, so that's one way. But there's also one on uh, Joshua Ryan Butler is teaching one on human sexuality. People don't know this yet, but Josh is about to publish the best book that will be out there on sexuality. Wow. Um, on the beauty of God's design. If you're a pastor, if you're an elder, if you're a parent trying to help guide and disciple yourself and your kids on this, this is the kind of class that would be really helpful for you to take. And I don't think virtual education is good in a normative sense. I wouldn't be the co-chair of the advisory board at Visa Divinity School if I did, because we don't do this virtual education but for continuing education, for an opportunity to learn from the best in the world with other believers from around the world, it's really good for those terms. So, so the online, we also have one from with Trevin Wax on five challenges facing the Western church. That one's also been really popular. Um, so you can, you can participate in the community with doing those online learning cohorts. You can also just read the essays. We're publishing a bunch of essays all the time on these topics related to cultural apologetics. You can listen to my podcast, Gospel Bound, and we'll have a you know we'll have a new season starting in the fall as well on that. I can't tell everybody what it is yet, but I'm also working on a new sort of cultural interpretation podcast with a couple non-Americans who will give some good perspective there. And so uh, you can also come see us at the Gospel Coalition's conference in September because about twelve of the fellows we've got twenty six fellows who are teaching with this. Um, new initiative, about 12 to 14 of them, somewhere in that range, are going to be teaching um, at that conference. So, and then just a simple way to put it, I was working, Rebecca McLaughlin's one of my favorite writers to work with. Her little book, The Secular Creed, is one of the best that there's, best anywhere as a short introduction to this cultural moment. I did that book before the Keller Center existed, but that would have been the ultimate kind of output for what we're trying to do at the center. So anybody in this church or any other could just pick up the secular creed from the Gospel Coalition anywhere you want to buy books from that little website called Amazon and <laughs> and um, just buy a bunch of copies and study it together and learn about what's happening in our age from a gospel-centered perspective. So that's the way people can connect, multiple ways. And they could just give us money. I mean, if they want to give us money, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it and I'll give it to these fellows and they'll produce good stuff that we'll all benefit from. Well, so. Colin, first, I wish you had just a couple of options for people to choose from. Um, I should, should I just have stuck with the money one? <laughs> well, in <and> second, <laughs> I this mean. This is such a well-heeled congregation. Well, I was about to I say, our thought. audience is definitely the place to make the money appeal. Because <laughs> as you can tell from our studio alone, <laughs> we are rolling. Yeah. Yes, Big sir. Time. 
So, yeah. no, no. Well, Colin, I have one last thing okay. to ask you about. But Great. before I do, we oh, would no. be remiss okay. if we did not put you through what we put everyone through. Indeed, uh, what yes. we have put you through before. <laughs> but it somehow survived. Yeah, and you're back Hard for round know. two. Colin, uh, we would like very quickly to okay. do with you a lightning round. Right. Yeah, that's right. Lightning round. All right. We're going to aim for brevity. Yeah. Gospel Bound doesn't have cool sound effects like this, does it? <laughs> I'm going to hire him away. Yeah, please do. I'm available. <laughs> Taking yourself too seriously over there. You know, Brad's on sabbatical, so if I leave, Jonathan's really going to be I, in trouble. I had, to, I had to change my music on Gospel Bound because the listeners told me it was scary. <laughs> Like my my wow. nerves, my nerves are getting it's frayed, wow. causing anxiety, yeah. which doesn't in, in work the, well with your non, tagline. In the non-anxious, <laughs> being a non-anxious presence yeah. in an anxious age, <laughs> here with music to <laughs> scare you to death. <laughs> All right. Incredible, oh, that's hilarious. Incredible. All right, lightning round. Here we go. All right, do you have a favorite band or singer-songwriter or artist? Yeah, Jason Isbell is my go-to. Love Jason Isbell. Yeah, does he have a new record coming out? I feel like I saw something I on mean, Spotify always, about always, that. Always, always seems to, but uh, yeah. I, you know, I like I like authors' new stuff. I mean, I like artists' new stuff, but man, his early stuff mm-hmm. is hard to beat. It's very, it can listen to it on many many repeats. So I didn't like Nashville Sound as much as I liked okay. Southeast. You know, some of the earlier stuff. But Jason Isbell. All right, tough question. What's the last great movie that you've that you've seen? Mm, okay, um, I'm gonna. Oh man, I can think about the last great mo- bad movies that I watched. Um, <laughs> you can share that too, I guess. Um, you know, I'm going to cheat on this one because it just came up because of an anniversary. One of my all-time favorite movies is Sophie Scholl, the the Final Days or the Last Days. It's actually an older movie, 20 years old, but Sophie Scholl is one of my heroes. She was a re- member of the resistance in the against the Nazis in Munich. And uh, was beheaded, um, motivated by her faith, Christian faith, to oppose the Nazis. That movie is amazing. It's just the one that's on my mind right now because mm. of an anniversary that just came mm-hmm. up. But that's um, that's what comes to mind. Mm. Okay, I know that you're a huge Alabama football fan, it's and true. obviously the basketball program uh, is doing really well this okay. year. What is your prediction for March Madness? How far will Alabama basketball go? <laughs> All right, we're we're gonna venture into some. <laughs> Unfortunate territory here. Is this the most controversial thing we've asked? It you is. Today? It is. But is our best player going to be well, in jail? I, I, I didn't want to bring that I up. Mean, that was not my aim is, to bring. Is the best up player that? of all time in Alabama basketball history going to be in jail I, as an accessory to murder? Because that would not be good I, for anybody. Right. So let's, I mean, let's say that doesn't happen, and and he's okay. And he, so and he he's, continues he's to play. Actually, playing. Um, <laughs> oh, I, if he plays, I'm just sitting over here oblivious. <laughs> Jonathan right doesn't know what's going on. So, oh anyways. goodness, I I think I would peg them. They are the kind of team that can run anybody out of the gym, but that you can also catch on the right night. I right. mean, just like everybody. Yep. I just don't yep. think there's a single great team in college basketball no. this year. So no. I'm going to peg them for the Elite Eight. Okay. I'd be really surprised if they don't get that far, but I will not yeah. be surprised if they go down because they just have a really cold shooting night or if our best 
player is right. in jail. Right, that would be very unfortunate. Okay. I feel like I'm in good company not knowing about any of this. I feel like Tim Keller's probably in uh, I, I would certainly say so. He has no idea that Alabama has a basketball or a football right, team. Right, <laughs> Well, unlike Keller, what is your favorite hobby, and you can't say reading? I can't say reading. Well, I mean, it would be as a sports fan. So... Um, I am a huge Kansas City Chiefs fan. Wow! So, Congratulations. And have been since uh, growing up in South Dakota in the 1990s. So, um, that and then also my alma mater, Northwestern. I'm I'm all about that, and we're having a great season in basketball. And I'm very yeah. much hoping that we get placed in the NCAA tournament first round in Birmingham, Alabama. That'd Party at my house, right? <laughs> if, if Northwestern, everyone's invited. Everyone's invited to my house in English Village if Northwestern basketball is playing in the first round of the tournament. So, so you know, I'm a big Auburn fan, and the Auburn Northwestern yeah. game earlier this season was one yes. of the ugliest games that I've ever but, but, watched but, but, in my life. But Northwestern <laughs> turned out to they be did. a decently good team, a tournament yes. team, about yes. the same as Auburn. They yes. were equal that night. Yes, and they've been equal yeah. ever since. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'll just say, last time we got you pretty good in football. Yes, and now I, that is and true. Northwestern yes. football I'm going to rain this, I'm gonna have to rain this lightning <laughs> round back in. This is turning okay. into a sports right. podcast. I'm sorry. Okay. sorry. I didn't even mean to. It's going right. to sound like my podcast, oh, Life of Books and Everything. All right, so let me just... take it in a direction okay, where you can't that? go with sports, okay? okay? No All right. sports. Do aliens exist? Oh, I'm going to say no, but I'm clearly in the minority on this <laughs> one, it seems these days. I don't want them to exist because my childhood has been scarred by Robert Stack and Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> you want to talk about some weird music? Oh, yeah, man. Scarred my childhood. My, my wife can identify with you if she hears that music. I thought aliens were going to abduct me <laughs> oh, on yeah, my man. farm in South Dakota. Yeah. I oh, like yeah. they're outside right now. I stayed up at night. Robert Stack, I hate you. <laughs> Why did you do this to me? Uh, so I just I can't have them. I can't have them exist. Oh my. <laughs> okay, if if you could write a biography on anyone else in this room, <laughs> excluding this room. <laughs> Now, come uh, on, in this room, who are you going to write it on, Colin? I want to know now. <laughs> do, the, do the coasters count? Wow. <laughs> do wow. The, do the coasters count? We have theologian coasters for all who are wondering. Who, Never who mind. Would you, who would you write a biography on? What's your, like, your bucket list? Like? Um, I don't have an accurate answer to that question. I will say this. The most logical person for me to write about would be Carl Henry who is not very well known necessarily, but he was the first editor of Christianity Today magazine, a key figure in the post-war movement. Not many people have done a lot with his personal papers, which are at my alma mater, Trinity. Um, and uh, so he's the most logical just because my life path matches his the most, just in terms of my work at Christianity Today and then at the Gospel Coalition and my, my time at Trinity and just some of the personal connections that I have through um, John Woodbridge, one of my mentors back back then. So that's probably the answer, but I don't know that I'll actually do that. It's just the only one that actually is logical if I can't write one about you guys. Favorite restaurant in Birmingham? Uh, yeah, the, the answer that I go to there, um, I'm a Saws fan. Yeah, yeah. Just, just keep it I simple. Saws. Saws is excellent. Um, any of the locations, they all got their little nuances. Mm -hmm. If I'm bringing somebody out of town, that's kind of the – distinctive experience but i will say this um, my wife and i last night were talking about desserts and this place has not been good for my waistline it has <laughs> not been good because that some of the, i think all of the best desserts in my life are in birmingham one the breakup cookie at church street 
Okay. Can't be yeah. beat there. Number mm-hmm. two, the pastry arts cake cups that you can get at Real and Rosemary, uh, especially cream cheese on <laughs> strawberry frosting. Absolutely amazing. And then third, Big Spoon. The oh, Verona man. chocolate with the cookies and cookies and cream. I'm telling you, we are it's it's hard to not be fat here. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. At least 100%. for me. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard. Uh so I'll just I mean it's it, we are we are blessed. <laughs> hashtag yeah. hashtag blessed. Well, not to backtrack at all, but Colin, just so you know, I am ready to sell uh the life rights that I have to my story <laughs> if you would just have your people call my is, people. Is, it, is this like is this like and Seinfeld when Kramer sold mine. his story to Jay Peterman? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you can't use that story. That's a Peterman story now. Oh, my word. <laughs> Told oh you I was a child word. of the 90s. Yeah, I know. I love it. I love it. What year were you born? 81. 81. So yeah. I'm 83. All right, well, this yeah, is, this will right be there. tough then. Old since millennial. You, since you brought up Seinfeld, what do you okay. have a favorite episode? Oh, um, yes. The I'm trying to remember what it was called, but you cannot beat the um, the whale episode when oh, Kramer yeah. hits the hole oh, in yeah. one. <laughs> In the blowhole. And is anybody here a marine biologist? (laughs) (laughs) To George Costanza. So that, I think, is just, that is my go-to scene as I I pulled out the obstruction. (laughs) Is that a a titleist? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's such a good episode. So growing up, I'd only seen episodes here and there, and I'd never done the full journey. So when Seinfeld hit Netflix, my wife and I are Uh actively watching through it we are on the season finale of ep- of se- of season seven. Oh yeah. Um. Okay. So we just right. watched the last episode. We watched was when uh, Kramer buys the the jeans. Yeah. And there's <laughs> yeah. and he and he looks like a zombie. Right. 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 <laughs> the skinny jeans. Oh. Well, the I mean Festivus is that in the last season? I can't remember where Festivus comes in there, but. The Festivus every year. That just never get never gets old. The airing of grievances. I've got a lot of problems with you people. <laughs> it's a classic. Oh, All what right. time do you wake up and go to bed? Seven and eleven. Seven and eleven. So yeah, I have to sleep, and you know it's not always it doesn't always work that way. But um, bed at bed at eleven, up at seven. How many questions are there in this light? All right, we'll go. It's like a thunderstorm. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, maybe maybe one more, one okay. more. Jamar, more. You, you got one more. No, no, no you go, you go. You want me? I don't have one more. Thing. <laughs> it's a th- more of a thunderstorm than a lightning round. Right? <laughs> What's the stupidest dare you've ever agreed to? Oh man, we'll end with I'm that trying one. trying to think of that one. I I don't know if this is a dare, but definitely the stupidest well, thing. Not not one that'll get you fired. No, don't, no, no, no. Don't. The stu- the stupidest thing I ever did was drive as a teenager. That was, oh my goodness, in South Dakota, you are taking your life into your hands at all (laughs) points. Two-lane roads, snow all the time, darkness, there's nobody on the roads. I'm just, it's just a miracle that I'm here. That you're still alive. It wasn't a dare necessarily, but it was just, um, I think most of the dumbest things I've done so far in life <laughs> we're related to being able to drive at age 14 in South Dakota. I feel like this is all this is true of all children of the 80s and 90s when you hear us retell stories of what we did as a kid. I'm like I'm amazed we're all just alive. I shouldn't be here. Right? <laughs> I should not be For here. For sure. I took um 
my kids, because we're in Alabama, yeah. I took them to a, a birthday party at a shooting range. <laughs> um, and as we're standing there, and not like a laser tag. No, 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 like shooting range, like target shooting. But but I grew up in rural South Georgia. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up hunting all the time yeah. from the time I was. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I was traipsing around in the woods. Definitely by the time I was nine years old with my friends. Yeah, you for know, sure. no, no adult supervision. And and so we're just yeah. sitting. We're at this shooting range, and it's like incredibly safety conscious. There's a line that everybody's got to stand behind. There has to be an adult within arm's reach of each kid. There's ear protection. There's eye protection. There's all these verbal commands. And I'm just sitting here going, man, it's a miracle that my friends and I survived as kids because none, none of this, none of this was in place. Hey, guys, watch this. Right? <laughs> oh, man. Well, Colin, thank you. You did a great job on the lightning round. It's beautiful. And we have one last thing for you here, and that is simply simply this. Uh, your skills as a journalist and historian go outside the realm of biography. Here in Birmingham, you give tours That's right. uh, about civil go. rights history That's right. uh, in our city. Mm-hmm. And so just curious, what? Uh, as a matter of fact, we shared earlier in the intro portion of the show that this Saturday, yes. uh, we're, we've got a group from Shades Valley that's going to go Big on this group. tour with you. Yeah. We're really excited about it. Uh, but maybe just as kind of like a, a preview for everybody, explain what, what made you get involved yeah. in doing this and why do you think it's important for people, particularly churches, yeah. to invest time in learning this history? So one of the people I've learned the most from on civil rights history, especially in Birmingham, of which we have a venerable <laughs> tradition and history, is, uh, is Jonathan Bass, one of my colleagues at, at Samford. And he told me the other day that he's never once been invited by a conservative evangelical church to talk about civil rights. And I thought, that is really strange. Now, my story's been totally different. I've done dozens of these tours with groups from Birmingham and from around the country, and it's it's been really great. But I think w- what motivated me originally was simply that if you're going to be in the city of Birmingham, you have a stewardship and a debt at some level to that era of history. And it's pretty amazing how few people even know that history or remember that history at all. And, um, and when I was uh, one of the elders at Redeemer Community Church in the Avondale neighborhood of Birmingham, we had so many young people coming in, especially from over the mountain to our little neighborhood church, and I just thought, they need to know what happened here. They need to know the story. They've got to have the backstory, And maybe they have enough backstory to say, white people used to live here, but don't really as much anymore. I don't know, but they probably didn't know much of before that. Mm. Um, and so my basic thought, as you guys know from the tour, my essential organizing principle is that, you know, what do you see when you look at Birmingham? And a lot of people don't see the... Uh, they don't. They don't see the scars. They're sort of. They live in a kind of uh, a haze of, I don't know, of ignorance. I guess about what happened. And I just, I don't tell people exactly what to do with the information, but they have to know the information. Right. Uh, so, that's um. That's why I got into it, and that's that's what I hope. I think. I mean, generally, I see really positive responses from people, which is not what I expected because it's not, um, 
I always liken it to family history. You only want to know your family history if your relatives did some cool stuff. You don't really want to know your family history if it was bad. We had a lot of family hist- bad family history in Birmingham, and especially in the white community. But, um, but in the Christian community in Birmingham, we also have a lot of really great family history that we should celebrate. So it's a matter of doing that, um, of understanding the burden of, of, of history, especially as it relates to the white community, but understanding the, the privilege of brotherhood and sisterhood with the body of Christ, uh, with, with, with so much of our, our mothers and fathers in the faith here in Birmingham did, and the courage. And, and I, as you guys know, I kind of end the tour by saying the most effective movement for social change based in the church, right here, indigenous, Birmingham, Alabama. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, Colin, we're really excited um, to because John Mark and I have been on the tour before. Yeah. You've done it yeah. with with our elders yeah, and some right. of our leadership, and so we're really excited to get to involve uh, a much larger portion yeah. of of the body this this Saturday. And man, we just thank you for all of your work and the multiplicity of facets. <laughs> um, you know, from the Gospel Coalition to now the Keller Center to at Beeson. To, I mean, it just. It intersects, interweaves with uh, what we do in Birmingham with our lives yeah. personally in so many different ways. And we thank you for making time uh, just to to come on our uh, our little podcast here. And Thanks, guys. Yeah. It's always yep. fun. I always know it's going to be a good, edifying time <laughs> when I make it over to the hockey rink. That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Oh, well, we thank everybody for listening uh, to this week's episode of Shades Midweek. Uh, if you have questions uh, about Colin's book or for Colin, because he's here in Birmingham and just completely at our disposal, twenty four seven, he'll stop by and sell you a book out of the back of his truck. That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, but no, seriously, there's more that you wish we'd asked him or any of those kinds of things. Email us midweek at shadesvalley.org because here at Shades Midweek, we're part of the conversation.